Regardless of how we find ourselves in the world of divorce, the one thing we have complete control over is how we behave from here on out. We have two choices. One is to remain stuck in the stories, the anger and pain. And the other is to take a breath, adjust our sail to the wind, and work harder than ever before to create a new story for our children, for ourselves, and for the world around us. It's your choice, your work, but I'll be in your corner. Welcome to In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. Have the fabulous Dory on today, who I connected with because he has an amazing podcast called Learn to Love, which he's going to talk to us about. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about his story because his story led him to where he is today because there's no way to separate it, right? Welcome, Dory. Yeah. Thank you, Carly. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so happy to be here on the show. Too. Tell us where you are tuning in from. I am in Toronto, Canada. Which is another reason why I love COVID, because we get to connect with people we would have never connected with before. Yeah, yeah. Across the continent, really. Yes. Um, so here's, we're going to just get right into it. You are an adult child of divorced parents. And yesterday you actually told me you are a double winner from two divorces. So can you take us back to your childhood before the divorce or do you not remember before the divorce? Um, I have some memories. It was very How early though. Like, like maybe six. Okay. So you were growing up in your house. Tell us about it. Um, I don't really remember like so much when I was six. Yeah. Um, do you remember them telling you that there was going to be a divorce? Do you remember your house is being separated? I don't remember that, but I remember when we lived in different houses. Okay, so you were just I aware, have like, like some memories of when we were in the. Yeah. What were you saying about? Yeah, memories? I don't actually remember the conversation though. Right, because you were Pardon? so little. Yeah. Can I just say something for listeners because? One of the biggest anxieties parents have is about telling the kids. And I'm sure you might have had an emotional reaction at the time, depending on how your parents approached it or whether they did or didn't. Like my, my youngest was six too, and he started crying, but he cried because his brothers were crying because everyone was crying. So it's like when a kid falls down, if you're like, oh, you're okay, you got it, you got this then they don't like immediately start crying. But when you're like, we have to talk to you about something horribly upsetting and it's going to ruin your life. And we're going to tell you right now, they're going to start crying. So parents, if you're listening, he was six and he doesn't even remember it. So you're living in two different houses. Are you equal time? Uh, no, right now I live um, at my dad's house, but it used to be equal time. For so many when years. you're growing up. I like what you said also though. Yeah, growing up, it was equal time. I like what you said, though, about how the kids look to the parents. I remember when I was a camp counselor um, for three years with five-year-olds, when they, if they ever fell, they would, or like, because when they were running, they'd look at you, and then they'd decide, like, if they should cry or not. So a trick we used to do is say, oh, did the ground hurt you again? And then you'd, like, stomp on the ground and say, Excuse Yeah, you'd say, stupid ground. 
I love it. Um, so you're in two houses. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be in two houses as you're growing up? Um, what it was like to live in two houses. I mean, it was kind of cool because it was like two different environments. So it was always exciting. Um, I remember we also got like, like double birthday gifts. Like, so we'd get, instead of like the parents giving a joint gift, you'd get like double gifts. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, it was kind of exciting. Were there the any that, like, negatives for you as a child that you can remember? I mean, sometimes it could be hard to adjust at the beginning, like, because you get comfortable in one house for like a week, and then you have to like, move to another house. And then it takes a few, like the first couple hours is just like readjusting to the new setting. Um, that's, that's what I would, I would say. Yeah, because I think like people who always live in one place, that kind of becomes their, like what they're oh, used to a lot. They, yeah. And then you can still get used to yeah, and I mean, you can still get used to two places. It's just like, it just takes a bit of time still at the beginning kind of thing. The first couple so of hours is getting used to So what I'm hearing is transitions were hard, but then you got used to it. You know, I definitely see that with all of our different kids, that certain kids are fine with transitions and certain ones, it's a, a nightmare driveway crying mess. And what I'm hearing differently today when I'm talking to you is the positive on the other side of that is, we get to raise children who become resilient to changing their environment. And what's it gonna look like when they have to change their environment? And now you get coping skills of how to do that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm trying also, to spin it good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also exciting sometimes too, cause like if you get bored of one place, you can go to yeah. another place. Yes, tell me the things Besides the transitions, were there any parts about your childhood growing up in a divorced family that you wished your parents would have handled differently or did they handle it well? Um, I think they handled it mostly really well um, in terms of dealing with things like on their own. Leaving the kids out of it. Um, which, okay. okay, go ahead. Um, something I think they did that I really liked was try to keep the kids out of it as much as possible. Like keep discussions between the parents to the parents and then um, try to always be available to the kids. So like if something was really bothering them uh, with the other parent, there would still be delicious food on the table and there would still be smiles and they would still be like, Hey, let's go to the park uh, kind of thing. Right. Um, other than that, I'm not sure like we're, we're all human, so like all parents make, you know, sometimes parents like of course. things going on at work or, but other than that, I'd say it was pretty much. Are you an like, only child or were there siblings? Siblings. So yeah, younger brother and some step-siblings too. So it was just you and your brother initially. And so he was really young when the divorce yeah. happened, right? So he probably doesn't remember anything either. Yeah. And then did both parents get remarried or just one? Um both got remarried how was that for you what was that like to be in a blended family um i, I never really thought about that before actually it's an interesting question i mean it's um, a big question so i'm remarried my husband lives in another state and he has three children 
And when our children are all together for like a holiday or a vacation, it's a cluster. And I cannot even fathom what it would be like for us all to live together. And we often say to each other that we're grateful because it would be a lot, like a lot of personality. So I'm wondering what, who got remarried first? Do you remember? Um, the mom got remarried first. Um, and there were two step siblings there. Um, similar ages as you? Yeah, similar ages. Um, at the beginning, it was like, I guess you got to get used to, used to them. But then it kind of like you make new friends and it's almost like you're always at your friend's house. Right. And one of the nice things about having a lot of siblings is there's always something to do. So yeah. like you come home, it's like, hey, you want to play basketball? It's like, yeah. yeah. Or like they say, like, let's play soccer. Let's, right. let's like, you know, and then let's do art. So it's not like, like we didn't really have to resort to TV and video games so much because there was just always like some form of entertainment between the siblings. Did your time overlap um, with your schedule? Like, did they, do you know if they planned it? So you guys, they both were with with both of their parents at the same time with you. So you guys were together or did you have like alone time with your mom? Um, It was a mix of alone and together. Um, It was mostly that we're all together though. And how was it for you? Like having a new stepfather? What was that like? Um, I mean, like anything new, it takes a bit of time to get comfortable with the person. But then once you get comfortable, it's like you have someone else on your team that you can reach out to and that like you can talk to and you can learn from. Right. So not pointing fingers at anybody to make anyone uncomfortable, but there's a lot of us out here that are step parents and we want to know like, what is the best practice? How do you go about this? My tactic is I'm like an auntie. I'm not, I don't even consider myself a parent in any way because I don't have any right to discipline them. The only thing I will ever do is like, if someone's about to die in the middle of the street is I'll like scream, you know, like come back. But um, I personally think that for me, staying out of any discipline issues, anything I'm upset about or concerned, I talk to my partner, not the kid, because I know that the typical reaction is I don't need another parent and I'm not trying to take anyone's place. Um, but did you ever have with either of them, I don't need to know which one, any like challenges where you felt like they were trying too hard or pushing too much or not enough? Like what was that experience like? Um, well, with our parents, it was like, um, you know, they're in the house, they're part of the family. So you have to listen to them as well. So we had to like, um, like we had to listen to things they asked us to do and stuff. Um, but something I would say in terms of step parents is like, I mean, it's different for every kid, but all kids want to play and they want to feel like they're real. Mm-hmm. So like, um, if you go to a kid and you say like, I don't know, hey, I got a new Frisbee, you want to test it out in the park? Like, it's probably hard for them to say no, you know what I'm saying? Right. Or like, um, hey, like, I know you like peanut butter and jam sandwiches, so um, I'm going to make snacks. Like, do you want, do you want peace? Like, you know what I'm saying? So you make it more organic in the present moment. You don't try to create some sort of large relationship. You just like in that moment, interacting and connecting. Well, I mean, all those little moments will lead to the large relationship in the long run. Just, I agree. Yeah. Just, I don't know. Kids, kids want to be kids. Kids want to play. Kids want to feel real. Do you remember, like, do you remember if you were old enough that your mom talked to you about like, now I'm marrying a new person or what did it just happen? Um, in my memory, it just happened. Yeah, that's what I was thinking for you. Like, yeah. now there's a new person here. Yeah, but I do remember the wedding. I remember. Did you go a... to the wedding? Yeah, we went to the wedding. 
And I remember there was really nice desserts. And me and my step-siblings <laughs> ate like way too many desserts. Okay, we so were for so listeners hyper. who are potentially going to get remarried, the key to keep the children happy is to have an awesome dessert table. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> we, when we got remarried, our, our, some of our children wanted to be there and we know our children well enough. We were like, no way. You'll be interrupting the ceremony, asking for the Wi-Fi password and telling us you're bored. Like, so we had nobody. But <laughs> I love the dessert table idea. Tell me about when your dad got remarried. Um, Was yeah, that similar timing? It happened a little bit later. I think, like, I, don't, I honestly don't remember exactly, but I think, like, maybe one or two years later. Um, but by then, we were, like, very comfortable with the step-siblings, so... It was just like nice food and an opportunity to dress up and play, which was actually problematic because we'd be wearing like really nice clothes, but we'd want to roll around in the grass and kick the ball. And they'd be like, no, not in these clothes. So you had two at your mom's step-siblings and how many at your dad's? Three, three at my dad's. So you have a total of five step-siblings. Yeah. And then which of the parents ended up not staying together and getting another divorce? The mom and the uh, stepfather. So do you, how old were you when that happened? Um, I think I would have been like 15, 14, 15. Do you remember anything about what their relationship was like before that um, leading up to the divorce? Um, not so much. It was kind of hidden from us. Like they would always be very, very civil when they're together and very like respectful and kind and, um, like, I don't know what you think, like normal, but we didn't know any of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, Which so is good on them because, you know, when my current husband and I argue, initially my boys would be like, oh my God, are you going to get a divorce too? And we had to tell them like, look, regular humans argue. Like to never show arguing is insane, right? We argue because we're both loud and intense and we have feelings, but we do it in a respectful way. And we try to not do it in front of them, but like we're human. Like they can't see a life where nobody argues. So you saw that kind of like a life where nobody argued. More or less. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, pro- like probably sometimes they argued, but it was never anything like major. Like it was always like very, very, very civil. Always like a let's be civil and, of the kids kind of thing so what was it like to lose that second family um at the beginning i mean it was kind of like a change because we had to move but then you get used to it like so you your mom and your brother moved uh yeah yeah moved to a new house and they sold the old house and then it was like okay we're moving you have to pack your stuff but then the new house was really cool too. And, you know, we liked our room in the new house and it was right next to this community center where I used to work and they had a really nice gym and park. And it was also much closer to our high school. So it was like, actually not that much closer, but about the same distance to our high school, but like in a nice, like a, an area with a lot of parks. So was the divorce amicable? What do you mean? Like, did they, was it, did they fight when they left or was it like kind and like, did you ever see them again, the father, the stepfather? No, we never saw them again afterwards. What about uh, the, the siblings? Yeah, siblings too. I haven't seen them again. What was that like for you? I mean, you're 15 years old and you just lost two people that you lived with for, what, five, six years? Yeah, it was a, it was a change. 
But, I mean, can you imagine, like, you're living, that would be like, pretend that they weren't even married. Like, imagine having an exchange student in your house for five years, and then you never see them again. Yeah, I don't know. It was like, takes time to get used to at the beginning. But then, I mean, you just adjust into a new lifestyle. Like, for example, there was way less competition for, like, showers in the morning in the new <laughs> house. So that was, like, a plus. And, right. um like less people were eating the good food and the good snacks. So like that was also, you know, like you just got You are a it. half glass, you're a glass half full kind of guy. I like it. Did you oh, feel thanks. any negative emotions or sadness at the at the loss of that new marriage? Um, well, I would say like with any change, there's like a bit of negativity and like adjustment and the adjustment is stressful sometimes. But I mean, you get through it. You just have to keep going. Like I think the hardest thing is starting something new. And then you get used to it and then it's your new normal. And then it's like, okay, you know, what am I going to do today? But you have to think at the same time, like we're in school, right? Like I had so much homework and I was in like different clubs, uh, in the band, on the, right. on the cross country running team. It's like, so I had my eggs in a lot of baskets. So it's like, okay, you know, there's a different you know dynamic. You what's so refreshing about hearing what you're saying is as parents, we are so hyper-focused on, oh my God, how are the kids going to handle this change and this change and this change? And what I hear you saying, and obviously you're not like every single person that there is, but I hear you talking a lot about the positives, like, hey, we were closer to this. We are, you know, near more parks and, oh, now I get more shower time. So it's like you saw the positives. There was a change, but it was kind of part of your life were, were you having other friends that were having similar divorces and changes or were you one of the only ones no so I was actually one of the only ones of my friends my close friends who were had parents who were divorced and so my friends were like you got two birthday gifts like damn <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of funny but I think I think like an important thing for the kids is just to have your eggs in like multiple baskets to have many pieces to your identity so for example like if your whole life is hang out with the step-siblings and the step-parent, then yeah, the loss of them is going to be like heartbreaking and totally take you off balance. But I mean, if you have a really good friend group at school, you're like really focused in your studies, you are part of like the band and you're part of like a sports team and you know, you're part of like the student's council. I mean, that step-family is only like 5% of who you are. So it's like, okay, that part of you is changing, which takes time. I mean, any change is stressful at the beginning. But it's like, you know, 95% of my day, I'm still occupied with my regular roles. It's like, you, know you wouldn't even notice that? the change. Until it's going to go, home. and we're going to get there um, when I'm done asking about the divorce, which will be very soon, but it's going to get into what you do today. And what's so interesting about what you just said is that idea is what adults need when they're in relationships. So they don't put all of their eggs in that relationship basket. And where, when that relationship, if it doesn't work out, they don't lose their identity. And so I love, I mean, that you were able to form that. Can I ask you, do you remember, or I'm sure you do, are your parents, when you were growing up in your teen years and, and before that, did they co-parent together? Did they connect? Did they communicate? Were they at event, like were they at your birthday parties together? Were they at, uh, you know, events together? They were until like, 13, 14, and then they kind of stopped. Um, what do you think happened? I think, I don't know, honestly, I don't know what happened. I think it was just like, they, the marriage was so long ago now, and it's like, they've adjusted into new roles with their new partners, and it just like didn't 
seem natural anymore, maybe. Right. But like, were there ever events, like a lot of the complaints I hear from, from adult children is that their parents could never be at something together. That wasn't the case for you. They, they, they could stand each other. They could be in the same space. I don't even, actually, I don't know. Like, I mean, they haven't been in the same space for a while now. What about like when you graduated and stuff? Um, did you have to have separate like dinners? Yeah, we did have separate dinners, but they did both come to the graduation. Okay. And they were in the same space when you graduated, but you had separate dinners. Yeah. Yeah. Do you you guys today as a family do anything with everybody's pieces or is it always separate? Always separate. And what's that like for you? Is that just all you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm used to it. So it is what it is. You know, so like, something that I really feel strongly about, and I want to know what your actual honest opinion is, like, I want my kids and what I work with my clients, and these are clients who specifically want their kids to have that kind of safety and security and that North Star divorce where they get put first. I want them for big events to not have to go from here to there and, you know, do separate things. I understand that, like, you enjoy the extra gifts, that, which they're going to get anyways. Like, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I want them to have for their birthdays like their parents there and for like sporting events and for like graduation and stuff like that. I don't want them to feel like now I have to go to my mom's and now I have to go to my dad's because then you add a partner and then you've got all these extra people to have to incorporate. Right. What is your, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I definitely, I never really thought about that before, to be honest for me, it was just like, a, this is the way it is. And right. Like- you didn't have any control, but I'm asking you as an adult today, looking back, would that have been beneficial to you or are you okay with the way it was? I'm really okay with the way it was. I kind of get used to it. And that, and also I kind of like smaller groups too, mm-hmm. because I mean, if everyone came together and there was like 10 people at the table, you'd be able to talk to anyone, you know? But when you have like smaller groups of, of three, four, it's like more, it's more intimate anyway. Right. But I, I definitely agree with you that it, it, it could work. It could work for some people and it could be really nice. And right. I think it, it could be nice for, for me too. It's just that I'm so used to the way it is now that it might even be awkward if suddenly right. and I was like, I'd be like, what are you guys doing? See, right. You're helping me see is like, maybe for the kids, one of the things that is hard is if the parents can't show up in a way that's authentic and kind, that that creates more tension for yeah. the kids. So the only way it really works the way that I want to do it is when both parents equally want to show up and be there for the kids without being distracted or angry or having their own stuff, which is why when I work with them, I'm like, we have to get through your crap so you can show up for your kids and not have tension there. Yeah. Does that make sense? If being present and fully engaged means separate events, like you said, I'd rather, I'd rather the full engagement and the being present um, even if it's separate. And I just want to say, I think, I think everything is really related to what you're used to. So for example, like cell phones didn't exist the way we know them today before 2004. And today, like many young kids and even, you know, people my age too would be like, what? There's no Wi-Fi here. Like I'm out of data. Like I can't live. Right. Or like Amazon, for example, like Amazon wasn't popular until past maybe four years. Today, people are like, I can't find it on Amazon. My life is over, you know, but, and that's what I mean. It's like, no matter what conditions you give somebody, I feel like they're just going to get used to it and it's going to become their new normal. Yeah. Um, So as long as you're consistent 
I'd say in the delivery or in the presentation or in the style, eventually it's going to feel like a seven out of 10 regardless, because that's just like how people feel in general, no matter what condition you get. I love that. That's really helpful. And you actually helped me personally kind of get something in place because one of my kids is very, very hungry for both of his parents to be in the same space for birthday celebrations like for dinner, like just him and his dad and me and his siblings. And that's what he wants, but it's not what is absolutely able to happen right now. And maybe what's best is that even though he doesn't get what he wants, that what he gets is not tension and is not distraction. And he gets both of us separately. And so it kind of leads us back to, you don't always get what you want. Like I'm sure even though you saw all the benefits, I'm sure you would have loved to grow up in a house where you weren't back and forth and new people and everything, you know, if that was an option. So, yeah, but I see what you're saying. I think it's different though for every kid. Yes. Um, So like, maybe like to me, it wasn't as important as it is to like, like another um, child, but to that child, I would just say, try to really understand where they're coming from because there's probably an underlying insecurity or or thing related to that request. Like maybe they feel like their parents don't love them anymore. If they don't want to be in the same room for their birthday, but you know, you have to explain to them, we still love you. And then it's like, Oh, okay. Then, you know, do whatever you want. Right. Because my son that gets really upset about it always thinks, well, why won't this happen? If you cared and you, and you knew what I wanted, why won't you make this happen? And it's so much more complicated than that. And it's hard to explain that to an 11 year old. Yeah. That's so interesting. I hear you. It seems to me that this is what you want. I understand that this is important to you. Um, Because it's important to you, we'll each take you out for dinner. And this is the way it is. And, you know, it's going to work for you. And, you know, you'll get used to it kind of thing. Yeah, you haven't talked to my karma, baby. He is not going (laughs) to have that, I promise you. Um, moving on from your divorced family, and it sounds like you came out the other side really, I think, resilient, um, realizing that any change is stressful and that there's a lot of things that you found. You know, if you ended up getting married and your marriage didn't work out, is there anything that you would do differently about how you'd want to go about the process of divorce? Or is it hard uh-huh. for you to even imagine that? It's hard for me to imagine that. I mean, for me, I really want to do as much as I can (laughs) to stay together. Yeah. Guess what? Every single person does too. I promise you that your parents did not get married with the hope that it might not work out. Yeah. But I I do hope that there are things that I could do. For example, like waiting three, four years before getting married and being very clear about wants, needs, expectations, dreams, parents, you know, Managing anger styles, communication yes. strategies, talking about religion and like this oh, kind of stuff. I think stuff. we're getting into your realm right now. So let's just get in there. So before we even get into all the good things you do, let's introduce what you do. So can you tell us about, you know, because what you're, what you're about to say is all the really important foundational pieces to have in order for a relationship to be successful. So you're saying, forget the idea of ever not having this work out because who wants to think about that, Right. You're saying, I'm going to be very intentional about how I go about this process because I don't want that. I want to be with whoever I'm with forever, right? And let's hear what you do. Tell us about Learn to Love and what it is all about. 
Yeah, sure. So um, Learn to Love is um, an organization that I started with my girlfriend. Um, her name is Bettina. Um, and it's all about helping people stay together. Um, so we believe that healthy love is like a muscle and it can be trained and strengthened. Um, and we give some of those tools to help to help get there. So we talk about relationship intelligence. So there's a big focus on IQ in the 60s. And then in through the early 2000s, people started talking about EQ, emotional intelligence. And now we're all about RQ, which is like relationship things. You don't have to essentially do a lot of trial and error. It's like things that have been found in the lab um, and in research to make it easier so that you know, you can just learn from the trial and error that's already been done. And it came out of a passion to understand like what keeps people together. So I was always curious. Um, and I'd ask my parents too, because like I see divorce and I'd say, you know, I know one in two families now are, are this is stat, um, are getting divorced. I always wondered what keeps the one together, the one and two. And the answer I always got was, oh, it's up to faith. There's nothing you can do to increase that's the odds. That's totally not true. It's up to faith, you know, it's whatever, it's whatever the, the universe wanted. That's and ridiculous. Like, so I'm a, like, I'm a scientist, right? Like I'm, right. I'm doing and a master's you know in what biology. Else? So you're a scientist and I'm like an emotional coach and uh, someone who says that you are responsible, right? So saying a relationship staying together or not is up to faith is saying that you don't play any part in the work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's ridiculous. Okay, keep going. So... I wanted a better answer, right? So, I did too. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was always interested in psychology and, and how the brain works. And I, I was reading a lot anyway. And I took my undergrad was in health science, health promotion. Um, so I learned a lot about counseling, psychology, behavior change, um, and also the benefits of relationships, like healthy relationships is a public health priority as well. Um, and then I just kept reading. And between Bettina and I, we read like more than 30 books. I'd say like over the like past two years or so from um, people like John Gottman, who was like a, a love lab um, and all people who work more on the brain, like Daniel Goleman and then other counselors and therapists like Laura Schlesinger, Sue Johnson, and then psychiatrists too, like Victor Frankel and Besser van, van der Kolk. Um, and then, you know, we, we started learning really, really interesting things from these books. And the idea came, well, people aren't just going to read like, a reading list of 20 books. So why don't we summarize it in fun, easy to understand snippets with analogies. And we got online. So if you like written stuff, we have a blog, learnlove.ca slash blog. If you like the podcast, if you want to listen, we have Learn to Love podcast. And if you want to watch, we have YouTube, uh, Learn to Love on YouTube, or we have short one minute clips on our Instagram, Learn to Love Media. That's awesome. And so what is your goal with Learn to Love? My goal is to, I'd say I have two goals. The one is a goal for me, which is to give me something to do while everything's closed that's meaningful and intellectually fulfilling yeah. during the coronavirus. And also yeah. just the platform to explore my own hobby and passion, which is understanding relationships um, from a psychology perspective. Okay. What's um, your second goal? My second goal is to help other people stay together. So if Learn to Love helps just one couple that would have otherwise divorced um, figure it out essentially by learning new tools or help one person 
better understand what to do before getting into a relationship to make the relationship more likely to succeed, um, then that, that would be amazing. So speaking of that one, what tools does an individual need to have in order to get into a relationship to make sure it succeeds? That's a really great uh, question. So um, what we talk about is a relationship kind of like a house with two pillars holding it up. And each pillar is a partner. And when it's hollow, it's weak and it can just collapse and the weight of the house can fall down on it. But when you fill it up with hobbies, passions, friends, self-awareness, um, compassion, compassion and um, like things outside of the relationship, then it's much stronger and it can hold the weight of the house. And, and that's what we talk about is starting from you. So for example, we ask the question, do you treat your thoughts as if they're worth considering? your dreams as if they're worth pursuing, your values as if they're worth caring about, or even aware of, of your values and your needs. Because um, the big thing in relationships we say is communicating your wants, needs, and expectations for the relationship and finding a way to help both of you achieve your dreams and finding a way to integrate the partner in making your dream happen. But if you don't know what your needs are right. and you don't know what you value, I mean... It's, it's very hard to know if they're going to be compatible and helping you get there. And maybe you only find out three years in, but you've already been with them three years. And if you have children with them already, it's like, oh, I wish I did this before. That's you wish you did about. what before? Found out? Yeah, it took the time to ask the big questions. Like, what are my values? What are my expectations right. for life? What do I want to achieve over the next 10, 20 years? What do I need from a partner? What do I need for myself? So we talk such, about such a good, so many good questions. And I think that for me, cause I'm 41 now and I've been through a lot with my life and my children and everything is I didn't know when I was 24, what I needed because I didn't know I'd never been through it. So in any of the studies you did, does it say anything or have you learned anything about the idea of when to get married because like my parents got married at 18 and their parents got married at like 17 and so when i was 19 my parents were like when are you gonna get married and i was like i'm i i don't know like and when i was 24 i met my husband at the time and was married by 26 or 25 and looking back even though society is like that's a normal age to get married i had no idea what i wanted other than I wanted to get married and I wanted to have kids. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's an awesome, awesome question. And I think it's super interesting too, because even my grandparents, when you go back one or two generations, they're getting married at like 18, Yeah, kids by 21. But I think um, it's because they didn't have sex. And so they wanted to have sex and like that you needed to get married. But it was also like, you need to get out of the house and get married. And the other thing too, I think is people, I think had more in common and the world was much simpler. So for example, religion was much more prevalent two generations ago. And if you come from the same religious community, you're probably going to have a lot of similarities in your values. Another thing is the way people spent their time. So people spent a lot of time in groups together, outdoors, talking to each other. And all of this talking and interacting helped them develop their identity and also gave them some sort of shared experience. But when people spend so much time on the internet today, especially in, in this new generation, 
everyone has a very, very different childhood in the sense that they live in the same house, but they're mentally learning from completely different resources. And another big thing is there's a big push on individualism today. Um, the more we focus on ourselves, the harder it is to accept allowing someone else in, which, and I think all of this is, is making the age later. Um, but it, I think it's kind of like, not necessarily so much of an age, but a mental readiness. So, I like that, a mental readiness. And yeah. knowing yourself and knowing what you want. Yeah, and being able yourself. to communicate that. Exactly, yeah, knowing, knowing yourself. So asking yourself the big questions, like what do I want out of life? Um, what makes me who I am? Um, where do I wanna be in 10 years? Um, like what do I need from a partner? Where are my insecurities? And a good, a good thing to think about that is, what are the moments that I feel very angry? Because anger usually represents fear and insecurity means not secure. It's a, primarily a lack of safety. So where are places where I don't feel safe? Another thing is to ask yourself, what memories um, make my heart race? These are other examples of potentially unresolved traumas. But just being aware of all of this. Do you have like something where you can give potential people that want to get married, like, like a test? No, that's actually a great idea, you, though. Okay, this is what you need to do, Dory, okay? You need to create, like, an app or whatever, and it should be, like, what you – these are the questions you want to sit down and, like, you almost, like, sell it as a kit. Like, here are the questions you want to sit down and, and go over with your potential, you know, spouse or partner and really, like, dig in based on everything you learn. Because I was telling you the other day – that the number one issue in all marriages that I've looked at in anonymous questionnaires was not money, not kids, not religion, but physical intimacy. And in your questionnaire, you can really like start guiding some of those questions. Like not one question, like, do you like sex? But like really digging into what you would like for your future life in that area and in all mm. areas, because we don't talk about that. Like all we're doing is trying to figure out, like, I hope, that we end up getting married. And then what's it gonna be like when we have kids and what do you want their names to be? And you know, like we don't talk about those questions, but it's so important. And clearly something that we're doing in the beginning is wrong if half of us are ending up divorced. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say uh, going, going through those kinds of questions and on our own too, like really thinking about what are our needs? because. A lot of us expect other people to care for our needs and respect our limits. And, but we don't even know what our own limits and needs are. Right. Um, so that's another thing. Another, uh, another thing to look at too is to make sure you have a lot going on outside the relationship. So we don't, we like don't want that you, partner. When your parents were going through the divorce because you had so much going on in your other part of your life, it wasn't only like, that wasn't your only lifeboat. Yeah. So I, I say like, be able to satisfy up to 95% of your needs on your own. For example, your need, like, like your happiness. You should be able to be happy on your own. You should be able to feel self-actualized, fulfilled, motivated on your own. If you say to your partner, like, you know, I need you to be happy. It's like, well, that's a lot of pressure on your partner. It is a lot of pressure. But you have to learn that. And you know what? We do know that because as teenagers we learn to do those things on our own. And then later in life, we're like, 
I don't need to know how to do this anymore. And it's like, no, 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 you, you still need well, to do because this. Because society has built it up that when you become married or in a partnership, that that person is now the person that's going to be responsible for you being okay. And then what happens is we're all growing at different places and we have different needs as, as life happens. And then one of us is like, I don't, you're not making me happy anymore. When the real problem was they were never supposed to be responsible for that in the first place. Yeah. Something I would say is if, if your friend was watching you or if your friend was doing what you're doing, would you think that what they're doing would make them happy? Because most of our happiness comes from our own self-care. If you don't sleep enough, no matter what is going on in your life, you will not be as happy as you could be if you got enough sleep. And it's just, that's it. If you don't drink enough water, if you don't exercise, if you don't eat well enough. Um, and also if you don't follow your, if you don't spend time doing the things that leave you feeling fulfilled. For example, if you really like reading, you got to make space for reading. Um, and that's what I'm saying. So most of your needs on your own, but feeling comfortable coming to your partner for needs above your own ability. So for example, if you feel very sad um, over something with your friends and you want to talk to somebody, you should feel comfortable approaching your partner and saying, hey, do you mind if I just speak to you for a few minutes about what's going on? And a message we tell to our partners is you don't, like just a misconception I think is you don't have to solve all the other person's problems. You just need to give them a space to talk. Yeah. Because just talking is organizing thoughts in our head. And that's a big thing. Whenever we come to our partners for help, a lot of the time they're like, I don't know what to do. Why, why are you coming to me? And it's like, I don't need you to solve my problem. Like, don't worry. I just want to talk to you. And that's like, well, oh, that, I mean, okay. I don't want to stereotype, but that is often something with my female friends that we have to say to our male partners, which is, I, I don't need you to solve this. I just need to tell this to you. And I mean, that's very, very hard. I have it with my husband sometimes too. Like I'll tell him about <laughs> something that happened at work and he asks me questions that are trying to lead me into trying to figure out how to make it better. And I'm like, you don't understand. I'm not trying to make it better. I'm not trying to fix it because I can't. I just want to talk to you about it. And that, and then he gets frustrated because he wants to fix it because I'm his partner and I'm upset. And so that's just a great lesson for everybody. Like mm -hmm. whether you're in a relationship or it's a friendship or a family, it's sometimes, not sometimes, the majority of the time, we just want to be heard. And yeah. a really good tool is just to say to the person, if you don't know, do you want me to just listen and support you? Or is there something you need help figuring out? You know, not yeah. in a condescending way, but just like asking. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And just the focus, I think in general, our own, our own, our own self-care. Like, I think a lot of us feel like we're not enough. Um, and this is especially exaggerated by social media where you scroll on Instagram, you see a thousand people within five minutes who you think have it better than you. And you see lots of ads with, you know, people having friends around and you're like, damn, you know, I wish I could have that. And I think people's sense of not feeling good enough gets taken out on their partner sometimes. Yeah. But that's just the big thing is focusing on like, what can I do to take better care of myself? And it's hard. And, you know, that's why there's so many tools out there like counseling and also like a lot of stuff online, lots of books about this, but just focusing on, on you. Um, because our partners are like very fragile and delicate too. So if we hold on to them, um, it's very easy to like a little boat and a big waves. Like if you just grab onto this little boat, it's very easy for it to flip or something. 
I we're think you have so much to offer. I cannot even tell you. I could talk to you again for another whole session, but mm. our time is almost up. So I want you to tell our listeners that I want you to remind us that the heart love is what? It's like what? Like a muscle, right? Yeah. Well, healthy love is like a muscle that can be yeah. learned and strengthened. And it's I hard work, it. but, but you can strengthen it. I love that you said that love is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And they can hear your podcast, learn to love with the number two in the middle, right? Learn to Yeah, love. one word. L-E-A-R-N, number two, yes. L-O-V-E, podcast. And find you on Instagram, YouTube. Yeah, we're learn to love on YouTube, like uh, L-E-A-R-N, number two, L-O-V-E. On Instagram, we're learn to love media. Um, we're also on Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook. You're uh, everywhere. I'll include it all in the episode notes. Fantastic. I'm so grateful for your time. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for having me on the show, Carly. It's this a pleasure. awesome. I think anyone out there that's listening, that's when you're ready to get to that next place where you want that relationship and you don't want it to repeat, that you need to seek out Dory and you need to follow some of these guidelines. You have courses on there. You have awesome exercises. And mm-hmm. I'm really serious. I think you need to make like a real deal questionnaire app where you're like, let's talk about the hard stuff. Thank you. And thank you so much. And also, if you're already in a relationship, we have a lot on conflict resolution, a lot on feelings, what they mean, um, and self-care. Um, so you can check that out there uh, on, on any it. platform. We all need it. We all need it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carly. That was fantastic. Have a good one. For any listeners who would like to go deeper into my story, check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, available in paperback, audio, or digital. Regardless of how we find ourselves in the world of divorce, the one thing we have complete control over is how we behave from here on out. We have two choices. One is to remain stuck in the stories, the anger and pain. And the other is to take a breath, adjust our sail to the wind, and work harder than ever before to create a new story for our children, for ourselves, and for the world around us. It's your choice, your work, but I'll be in your corner. Welcome to In Your Corner Divorce Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I am your host. On Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and IndieBound. Remember, we get to write this next chapter for our kids, for ourselves, and for the world around us. Have a great day.